Welcome to Architecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of technology leaders. I'm Ari Paparo, and I'm here with Ray Kingman, the CEO and founder of Semcasting. Thanks for being here, Ray. Thanks, Ari. I appreciate the time. So um, what is Semcasting? Semcasting is a data and identity service provider, and we're focused on what we call high regulatory markets, which is a slightly different positioning, I believe, than most of the identity services out there. We've you know, really honed in from the beginning on the regulatory markets of healthcare, financial services, politics, and certain areas of B2B. Right, right. Does that include geographic? So is it more of a Europe focus or is it? No, it's not? strictly U- U.S. and Canada right now. Okay, got it. Okay, well, we'll go into a l- lot more depth on that. Tell me about the company first. How, how long ago was it founded and uh, how big is it? Sure. I mean, some casting has been around since 2009. Oh, wow. We started as an offline data provider. We created, basically, the company was the product of a predictive modeling platform based on genetic algorithms, where we built predictive variables for home values and incomes and discretionary income and net worth, and mostly focused on financial services. And that platform, I got to a point where it was time to sort of, if you can call it, eat your own dog food, which was the idea of moving that data variable into the marketplace as a, as a marketing asset. And so we began to build a compiled file of the United States. And then and we're pretty successful in licensing the data to lots of the current compiled file providers in the offline world for Postal. In uh, 2014, we made a transition, and this is you know, relatively different from the way most people went on, uh, most organizations went online, but we took an approach, even at that time, recognizing that the cookie was a problematic situation over the long term. So we spent a couple of years building what we call an IP delivery system. That IP delivery system was really designed to focus based on network information on the delivery point to the modems and the homes and the businesses. We got, uh, you know, four or five patents for that process and then spent a lot of time in that market, particularly where what IP has as an advantage generally is the notion of being able to reach most of the population without having to have a cookie in place. And what that led us to was initially mobile and then to video and then to other marketplaces and, and platforms. Is that still the foundation of your tech, the IP address? Actually not. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. Okay, so what we've done over that period where it was initially just IP to destination point, we've started to build out what we call a constellation identity graph. What that constellation identity does is incorporate, you know, mobile device signals, emails, location, IP, offline data. So all the different touch points to consumers and businesses in the marketplace where none of the ID points or touch points are any more valued than the other. It's really what the constellation does is figure out what is the most accurate um, Mm -hmm. touch point and prioritizes that. From there, and that, if you think of that as sort of the inner ring of the, the graph, the outer ring is all of the third-party provider, platform providers. So we've got direct integrations with all the major DSPs, several of the SSPs, and also more recently, and this really sort of goes to our regulatory priorities, is to look at actual first-party data providers and incorporate their IDs into the graph as well. So really what kind of differentiates 
updates us a little bit is we've got upwards of 48 different IDs in the graph at this point, uh, different types of IDs, including things like major health insurance providers and credit card providers and others, where you're not transacting on anything other than a, than a um, permissioned identifier. Right. So is it a co-op where one healthcare provider joins and suddenly their ID is helpful to everybody else? No, it is not. It's first party data. So first party. it's all first party. So, I mean, as you're well aware, what's happened over time is we've kind of gone through the, what I call the mirror in the window phase of identity. The mm-hmm. mirror being, we just, everybody freaked out because our cookies going away. So we tried to f- find something to look just like it. And a lot of it turned into, um, emails or mobile devices strictly. What we've tried to do is take more of a window approach to it and say, look beyond that and say, all right, what are the, what's the identifier for the future? What's, what's that going to look like? And I think we're kind of living through the walled garden phase of this. And then, and really now we're moving into the first party phase. So, okay. So to make sure I understand, so you have a first party data from one of your customers and then the graph is probabilistic on top of that. So is it no. like no, so? It's, how is it deterministic across devices? It's deterministic again across devices because everything goes back to our origins of <laughs> the compiled data. So we have in our graph. So if you want to think about it, as three parts. We've got all of the offline connection points. And we have about 8,000 variables associated with all of that. And then you got the online connection points, which is a constellation, if you will, of their ID in their, off, in their offline world, as well as their things like emails and mobile devices and everything. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third part of that is the platforms in which they engage. Okay, so, so an offline data point might be, you know, household, household address, other information that's publicly available or available widely, public. right? Mm-hmm. And then you're saying, well, okay, the, the this household, I can now link to a mobile device and also to a first-party data source of one of our customers. One entry into the constellation equals all the others. So yeah. every everything is really finished off by a location to a postal address and a parcel, actually mm-hmm. a physical parcel for every household in the United States. Gotcha. Okay. It's often easier to understand stuff if we talk about the customers. So you mentioned yep. healthcare, financial, et cetera. Can you walk me through like a typical customer use case? Sure. I'll walk you through a couple. One is in the healthcare world, health insurance, for example, we have customers who looked at digital as a mechanism for saving money primarily. And with what we had to do in order to be validated in that space is we had to become SOC 2 type 2 and high trust compliant which we have accomplished for several years at this point. And what we did is we have access, because we're compliant, we have access to their member file. And what they look at is this notion of how do I communicate all of different products and services that I need to communicate to my members because by law I'm, I'm, I'm forced to, as an insurer, to do that once a month or once a quarter. And so... What we've done is built a graph that's specific for their ID to their customers, and then we run the full gamut of building out campaigns on a regulated basis, a regular basis, step by step, and then validating that it reached them through advertising. And is this primarily a paid advertising model? That there yes. is the use case, the use case of paid advertising? Yes, absolutely. Right. Are there other use cases? Like, do they use you for social or do they use you for 
search or anything else, or is it just it's like no, open web page? It's it's all display. It's all Got displaying it. display connected television and and video. Got it. Okay. And so on your website, you know, when you're going through the products, it says you know an identity graph, clean room technology, first yep. party data design. Uh, it'd be helpful to talk about what what those distinctions mean. Okay. Um, the identity graph we we discussed. We talked a about bit, that. Right? Okay. So clean room is be, is think of it as the following. One of the methods that we use to identify a first party record or um, any customer information is that it's uh, the audience designer platform is self serve, and so they control the files. They control always control the data. So what happens is they're able to load the file directly into the platform, and when it goes into memory, it syncs to the graph, and the original file is dropped. So what it's doing is mapping to an anonymous ID within the graph, which only they understand and only they can retrieve. So in that sense, um, what we've tried to do is architect a system that really maintains that clean room basis. So here you can clean room as, in a sense, to explain the bridging between the first-party data, which is obviously highly sensitive, and a common third-party data right. that they could they could use in a DSP or somewhere else. Right, exactly. And so yeah. if you think if you think of this as taking the next part of this is if you're working in in pharma, one of the requirements that is you know clear and obvious is that you have to follow HIPAA compliant procedures. Right, um, it's part of SOC two. We do that. What we've done is built a system that allows that the data that's loaded all be aggregated into HIPAA compliant clusters and regionally and uh, population wise validated. So each of those methods are producing a segment for third party outreach that is HIPAA compliant. So many of the clean rooms focus on publisher use cases. So they'll say like, hey, the pharma company wants to run ads on WebMD. Mm-hmm. Um, but not cookie-based. So they use identity in a clean room. Do you do that sort of one-to-one mapping? In the well, every, there's no cookies on our system whatsoever. Yeah, right? whatever, it, whatever, any right. identity. Yeah. yeah. So essentially what we're doing, you know, they're using that concept in the sense of saying, look, we've obscured the identity, wink, wink, right? And so what we've done is essentially said, you know, for these highly regulated markets, we want to make sure that that identity is in a compliant form at all times. Mm-hmm. So right. which in HIPAA, obviously, is clusters to 250 you know, households and such. Right. And so the main output of both the identity graph and the clean room is a set of identities that you can go back to a DSP to activate. Right. Actually, what we've done is um, the other half of the clean room part of that is we see everything that DSP sees and we're transacting on their ID. Mm-hmm. Right. So their ID, by definition, is anonymous mm-hmm. in, their, in their world. We see their ID. Um, we're sync, doing that sync on our end. We're pushing back their ID. Their ID, right. Exactly. Is DSP the main use case? Are you also integrated with SSPs? Yes, both. Yeah. And are all the customers really buy side or do you have any sell side customers like WebMD or someone like that? Um, increasingly, we're starting to see from the SSP side, we're starting to do more direct SSP buys. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then um, PMPs. Yeah. what is on your, once again, on your website, it talks a lot about first party data design. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? Essentially, what it means is that we have the benefit of knowing the population in terms of the you know, the compiled data that we've compiled, we own mm-hmm. it. And, you know, our, for example, things like our income estimate is used widely around the industry in lots of places that you probably wouldn't, uh, you'd recognize immediately. But 
what we've done is we're able to produce a predictive offline model of the population that we're trying to serve. You know, one of the benefits of our platform is to say that, you know, very often the typical use case in display or DSPs has been load your data and start layering different variables on top of it in order to find your best path to an outcome. What we're doing is the opposite of that. We're coming in and saying, look, take your first party data. If you want to look alike, build it in the offline world with real people and then load that. So essentially taking the inefficiency out of that process. Well, it seems to me like with your core asset of all these uh, deterministic data, that customers would want to use your data outside of advertising. Like they'd want to pull it back into their analytics and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah, and, that in a lot, and in many cases we do. And we have the audience designer, which is primarily designed for advertising and display and video and CTV. And then we've got an, a version, which is an enterprise plugin that is essentially that Constellation identify ID solution mm-hmm. built into their infrastructure. Right. So we plug that in. Got it. Cool. Let's talk about sort of privacy and cookies because we've touched Please. on it a couple of times. Let's do cookies first. So <laughs> you, you don't have any cookies, right? But ultimately you're syncing with a DSP's ID, which is, which is somewhat dependent on cookie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either a hundred percent or 50% yeah. or some percent. Yeah. It'd be, be a little frustrating to try and serve something on a browser without a cookie. Right. Yeah, obviously. So, um, you have to sync to a cookie on the browser, no matter what, and mm-hmm. at least for the time being. And so what we've tried to do is just make that an artifact or a key. You know, the flip side of that argument, quite honestly, is, you know, the cookie was associated with an email for onboarding for years. And now we've just privatized that, you know, in a lot of cases across the industry and in identity services. Mm-hmm. You know, we essentially made it a walled garden ID or made it a, you know, or something, the first party ID. So what, I guess the question is like, what IDs do you have? Like if they're, if they're not cookies and you're matching the cookies, are they device IDs? They're um, all of the above. They're uh-huh. basi- they're basically the IP and the time of the uh, IP time and date yeah. in a sync. Then right. there's the mobile devices, and then there's emails, and then there's physical location that is associated mm-hmm. with IP, and then you know basically then you have the offline basically all of the offline information all linked together. Yeah, all of that is linked together. So how do you feel about the future of IP addresses and how viable they're going to be? I mean, we see Apple already you know, trying to reduce their usefulness. I mean, obviously, obviously Apple's trying to reduce the, uh, Google, frankly, has been doing it for three years. So mm-hmm. it's it's not news. It's just what it is. The one caveat to our process that we feel has some defensibility is they don't control the modem. And so the modem is really what yeah. is material to us. Right. So it's a, the cable DSP providers are kind of the question mark, yeah. whether they, what they'll do. Well, you can't, you know, I think increasingly we're seeing the IP is not is not viable as a match key within the DSPs, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. It doesn't, you know, there's some, you know, there's some uh, for bad actors and IP could be a problem uh, right. for the population. But, you know, the way we look at it, it's, a key, it's just another match key um, within our graph. Right, right. So what's your perspective on the on privacy and how it relates to your graph? 
I think a couple things come into play. I think that privacy, as I mentioned earlier, I think identity and privacy that's associated with it is moving to the first party, which is going to essentially where the identity graphs is going to get syndicated across the major brands. Um, I think we're well into that phase, and I think it's just going to accelerate. And there'll be providers that help brands bridge that gap going forward. What you're not going to see is, I believe, what you're not going to see is a single I, universal ID or anything like that. I think what's going to happen is it's going to get democratized across the brands and everybody's going to have their own identity space and they'll control it. And I think that's the proper response to this problem at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's through the experience of GDPR and just understanding the way that legislation rolled out. The problem is for the graph providers, because the, so if you think about it, your 100%. customers are controllers of their data and the publishers are controllers of their data. But if you maintain your own graph, you effectively need to be a controller of that graph. And it's pretty hard to get consent to do that. Right. And I 100 percent agree, which is why the first party has to control it. Mm-hmm. How does the economics work for your product? How is it paid for? Audience designer is based on a CPM basis, and mm-hmm. it's based on it's based on usage. So okay. we we have these syncs with the DSPs, and we onboard the files. And you know, typically, one of the benefits that uh, they get out of that, they see it's full transparency as to what matched and what didn't. And when they upload it, they get they pay on what they use, not on what they uploaded. So it's a CPM fee, yes, based on usage, not on graph size, but no. on on media purchased. Yes. Um, do you charge direct or does it get bundled in with the DSP fee? Often it's bundled in with the DSP on uh, certain, platforms, certain yeah, platforms yeah. like Facebook and Roku, for example, they don't have the ability to clear. So Right. So in the Roku, direct. Facebook, the advertiser has a IO with you or a, a contra- MSA with you that has a fee and mm-hmm. cents per CPM. Yeah. And then if they buy in, let's say, the trade desk, it might be bundled in and Likely they just get in. a $5 CPM. Of yep. which some portion is your fee. Yeah, that's right. Right. Cool. Uh, makes sense. And w- do you have anything to say about, or anything you'd like to share about your roadmap? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're doing is we're looking at, we're consistently looking at ways to accelerate and broaden the graph. One of the things we're adding shortly will be a contextual component to the graph, which essentially says, you know, take your first party data load it into Audience Designer and get back keywords and get URLs of endemic sites for that audience. And also the reverse is true. Take the keywords and get back audiences. So mm-hmm. take sites and get audiences. So where lo- do you get that data from? We uh, work with a partner to mm-hmm. get the actual component matching of the contextual um, we've been working for years. And so mm-hmm. it's the idea, you know, we're essentially tying the contextual to the household and to, into the business. I, I meant to ask you, I forgot to ask you about how your solution fits in with other solutions these advertisers might use. Is it typical that they would use you for onboarding, but would have a different vendor for as a DMP or a CMP? I think what you you'll see now, because I think one of the things that you'll find in Audience Designer is that it's got an onboarding component to it, and then it's got an audience design component to it, where you can maximize or, or optimize your audience before, you know, for example, if I want to, I have a political voters in, uh, in who's, who's voting today, Oklahoma, and, you know, in Oklahoma, go to the polls and say, who's a, who's a frequent voter? In Oklahoma, we'll have the data there that they can filter and create 
And so do DMP-like things are in the first-party context, CDP-type things, and they can load and get the optimized file before they onboard it. But then, then at that point, we can allow them to do the attribution from the first, you know, to say, did I serve that person or did I not serve it? So mm-hmm. the full continuity of audience designer is provided there. So I like to think of it as, yes, we do onboarding, but we also do audience design and attribution, and it's all in the hands of the advertiser. So they're getting what they want. So I like to think of it as almost some mashup of CDP, DMP, and onboarding. Got it. Okay. So um, let's do a lightning round. So we're going to ask you, you know, a bunch of quick questions looking sure. for relatively quick answers. Okay. Um, what, what's your one competitive advantage versus other solutions? Um, I think the main thing is time to market and match rates. Those two, thi- those two things are the main, main things. We average time to market um, in an hour. Well, why is time to market faster? Because we actually see the IDs and they don't have to sync on the other end. Uh-huh. So essentially, if I have a Xander ID, I've matched, pre-matched it and sent Xander the ID they need to serve. So it's ready. And so like in Xander, it might be half an hour to three quarters of an hour. Facebook, mm-hmm. it's almost instantaneous. Amobi, it's very quick. Trade Desk, it's the next day and so on and so forth. Interesting. Uh, okay. Match rates average about 85%. All right. So I asked this of all companies. Why won't the walled gardens like Google and Facebook crush you? Um, I like to think of it is because of the issue of transparency. I think transparency is a big deal with marketers, and I think they want more control, not less. I think as an industry, we need to arm them, the brands, to be able to control their data. And I think they've already made the brands are really calling the shots, not the walled gardens. And I think the brands will really eventually take back control. Uh, What's your biggest challenge in the market? I think the biggest thing that we face is obviously um, sales. As, as everybody does. You know, we've been around since 2009 and we're bootstrapped and we've been profitable for all these years. But um, I think one of the things about scale that's important is to make sure that you get the distribution in place. And I think we finally got that. Um, now we're just executing. Got it. Last question. Um, if your company was an animal, what animal would it be? Um, good question. I'll tip my hat to my dog. I'll say it'd be a Jack Russell. What's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, my dog Daggett would love that. He's uh, he's feisty and he and he, he gets what he wants, so he's always pushing. All right, that's a good answer. Well, that is great. So, uh, Ray, thank you so much for joining. For full Marketecture subscribers, we're also going to have a demo of the platform. Um, so stay tuned to watch that. Um, once again, Ray, thanks for being here. Anytime. Thanks, Ari. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at Marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.